You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. This morning, I want you to open your Bibles over to Acts chapter 1 to begin with. Acts chapter 1. Let me get there. So today, and we, and we don't always, in fact, I think this is the first time I've actually talked about this uh, on, this is, this is Pentecost Sunday, okay? And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And normally when I talk about Pentecost, maybe when you think about Pentecost, you think about, as I do, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happens at the beginning of the book of Acts. It happened on the day of Pentecost, but most of us have no idea what the day of Pentecost was or the feast of Pentecost was. And so I'm going to give you a lot of information this morning. You're probably going to want to write some things down. Um, but while I think all of us in this room could say that we are very grateful for the Holy Spirit? Are you grateful for the Holy Spirit? Are you grateful to live in the new covenant where God can actually come and live on the inside of you by his spirit? Are you grateful for the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that we see poured out? I'm so grateful and I am so grateful to be aware of all of that because honestly, and I don't mean this at all critically, it's just a lot of our brothers and sisters aren't real aware of the fullness of what God has given to us. And normally when I think of Pentecost, I think of all of that, and we'll touch on that this morning. But what I want us to get into is the reason, there's a reason that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day that he was poured out. And so I'm going to take you back at Easter time. Most of you were here, or maybe you've listened to the podcast or watched the video. At Easter time, we took two weeks, I believe it was, and we studied the feasts, the Jewish feasts, Passover primarily, but there are, remember, I'll just, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I've got quite a bit to give you this morning. At, when, when we celebrate Easter, when, when Jesus went to the cross, gave his life for us, he did that at the feast of Passover. Be, and there are, let me back up even more, I'll just lay this gr groundwork again. Throughout history, very early in, in the scripture, very early in his relationship with Israel, God gave Israel seven feasts or festival celebrations to celebrate throughout the year. There are four in the spring and there are three in the fall. The four that happen in the spring of the year, each one comes at, a, at various harvest times. In the spring, there were grain harvests, various kinds of grain. In the fall, there were fruit harvests. Um, so they happen at a harvest time. But each one of those feasts uh, rehearses, is uh, the best word I can think of, rehearses in real time. People come together and they go through a festival and they carry out certain traditions. And those traditions illustrate in real time, in real life, with physical beings, some aspect of Jesus' work. And the four feasts in the spring, Jesus already physically accomplished during his first uh, coming to the earth. The three feasts that are left for the fall will be fulfilled during his second coming. And they speak of end, end times things. But, but so during uh, the week of Passover, and you would have to go back. I mean, there was, we gave a lot of information 
on these three feasts. But there are three festivals in that week, and there are two Sabbaths in that week. Okay, Every week, you with me so far? Every week, on Saturday, every week, the Jewish people, Israel, had a Sabbath. That was the weekly Sabbath. Then during these festivals or certain other days, they were considered a high Sabbath, which meant you couldn't do any work, you couldn't do certain things. It was a time given to the Lord. So during the week of Passover, we saw that things began with bringing the sheep in uh, that were going to be sacrificed early in the week. They started bringing them into Jerusalem. The sheep were examined for four days. Jesus was being publicly examined for four days. Uh, the sheep were the the sacrificial sheep for the uh, for the nation. Then was taken in and tied to the altar. That was the same timing. We looked at the timeline. We looked at everything. It's fascinating. God had it down to the minute when this stuff was going to happen, and he and at that time Jesus was taken in and he was arrested and bound, and then he was sacrificed at the time and died at the very time they were killing the sacrificial lamb. We went through all of that, okay? And so during that week, there was the feast of Passover. There was a feast called Unleavened Bread. And then the final one that happened on the day after the weekly Sabbath, okay? So that's always a Sunday, right? The weekly Sabbath for Jews is always a Saturday, So on the day after the weekly Sabbath, during the week of Passover, are you getting this? Okay, is a feast called First Fruits. And it happens on Sunday. And that is when Jesus was raised from the dead. And that is the primary reason, I believe, that we as the church gather together on Sunday instead of Saturday is because we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, which happened on a Sunday. Okay, that feast... First fruits always happens on Sunday. It always, no matter where Passover falls, Passover isn't assigned to a certain day, it's assigned to a date. But no matter where it falls in the week, then you come to the weekly Sabbath on Saturday and then happen, then first fruits happen. Okay? When the feast of first fruits happens, which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that means resurrection to us. And that's why we have Easter, the resurrection Sunday. Okay? In the Jewish world, when that feast happens, they begin to count for 49 days, seven sevens. I'll probably say this to you several different ways today. They, they begin to count because the number seven is God's number of completion and fulfillment and perfection, right? They count seven sevens, seven weeks, 50 days, which is where the term Pentecost comes from, all right? And 50 days later, there is, this, there is this day of Pentecost. It is another festival. It happens at another harvest. And that is the day for us that the Holy Spirit was poured out, okay? Are you with me so far? Nobody's eyes are crossing, so I think we're doing okay. So, um, so let's go to Acts chapter 1. And just read these verses. We've read them many times, but let's just look at them with a little bit of a new light here. This is between the time that Jesus was raised from the dead and the day of Pentecost. We don't know exactly what day Luke's talking about here, but it was somewhere in that period of days before Jesus uh, was ascended, but after he was raised from the dead. 
It says on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water. But notice this, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about a certain day, but we don't know how many days it is. Okay, but he says in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So they did just what we do, and we listened, and, and we said, okay, well, what you're saying, Jesus, is uh, in, in a few days we'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but clearly that's not the important thing that's on our heart. What we want to know is when you're going to establish you know, the, the kingdom, restore the kingdom to Israel. And he comes back, he just blows off, well, he doesn't blow off their question. He just says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But, he takes them back to what he just said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, look, guys, it's not even for you to know. Do not get fixated on times and dates and seasons. It's okay to look at them, but you're not gonna know, all right? But what you do need to know is in a few days, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. The Holy, this, but this is what happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out in a way that had never happened throughout history, ever. He was poured out for all believers. Now that Jesus was raised from the dead, every believer could have the Holy Spirit dwell in him and could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have power to be a witness not just to do witnessing, but to become, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to become a witness. A witness is a person who's actually, this, this isn't a hearsay thing. Oh, I heard that Jesus did this. Remember, there are some guys that, that tried that with Paul, and they, and they said, uh, they were trying to cast out devils. Anyway, they, they were saying, oh, it's you know the Jesus that Paul preaches. They didn't know him. And the devils just beat the tar out of them. That's, that's my interpretation of that story. Uh, we, we, a witness is somebody who doesn't just bring hearsay. Oh, I heard that Jesus did this. I heard that Jesus did that. It's a person who is filled with his own life and power. And, and their life is a witness of Jesus. Their life points to who Jesus is. The transformation of your life and my life, the, tra the way we think now that we didn't used to think, the way we act that we didn't used to think, used to act, not because we're putting on a religious show, but because we're actually different on the inside, that is a witness of Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Spirit that were poured out on, on that day and, and through this day, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the Scripture, the supernatural manifestations of the Spirit that come through you and I, through every believer, available to every believer who will receive the Holy Spirit on that level, that was never done before in history. All of that came. That's what being a witness of Jesus is. It's doing the works that he did and, and greater works. It's all of that put together. So he says, the times and dates aren't important for you in this age. What's important for you is to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as, as he is poured out. Okay, and then let's go on to Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, verses 1 through 4 here. Again, familiar verses, but these verses are full of uh, phrases that have to do with this Feast of Pentecost. 
And so in verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, I want you to notice those words, had fully come. The day of Pentecost, it's just a, it's kind of an odd way to say that. It's either the day of Pentecost or it's not the day of Pentecost. Well, there's a reason that they said this, and we'll get to that in just a minute. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. I want you to notice that. You might want to highlight it or underline it in your Bible or whatever. Don't underline it on the screen of your iPad. That's not a good thing to do. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house. That's an important phrase. Filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. That's important. One sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Every part of that speaks of some aspect of the Feast of Pentecost or what the Feast of Pentecost commemorated. All right, so, so let's, let's um, jump to a little of that. Let me, let me bring you up on that. Primarily, the Feast of Pentecost for the Jews commemorated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And remember what was going on there. God invited all of Israel, Moses to come up the mountain, all of Israel to come close. They had the invitation to come right up as close as you could get to God in that day before Jesus came. We, you didn't have the kind of access that we have where we can come and have this incredible face-to-face with God. We didn't have that because redemption hadn't happened yet. But Moses was able to come up and talk face-to-face with God. And so God was going to give the Ten Commandments or the law, the beginning of the law, to Moses. And so Moses came up on Mount Sinai. And if you go back and you read this story through Exodus, what, 32, 33, 34, through there, uh, there was a lot that took place. But one of the things that happened was the top of the mountain got covered with clouds, the cloud of God's glory. There was loud thundering. We'll talk more about that later. That came big, loud sound from heaven. There was lightning, which relates to the, the visible fire that stood upon these people. There was lightning and the voice of God went forth. They could hear God speaking and Jewish scholars believe that when God spoke, you could hear it through the whole earth. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. And, and God wrote those first commandments, the first set of commandments were written by the finger of God on tablets of stone. While all that was going on, Israel, again, I'm not saying this critically, it's just what happened. They got scared. They said, you know what, Moses? That God's really scary. You go talk to him. Tell us what he said. You come back if you come back. They didn't say that out loud, but they were thinking it clearly because of what they did later. If you make it back, tell us what he said. We'd really like to know what he said. We just don't want to get that close to him. That's, that's not an unusual attitude. That's not an unusual attitude. I mean, I, I don't fully understand all of this. I don't understand human beings, including myself. 
But there are two possibilities that happen when God really manifests himself. When his, when his presence is so thick in a room that, you know, it's just so tangible in a room when healings are being manifested. Either people are drawn to that and they want more of it, which I believe is what God wants. Or we go, I'm more comfortable in a form of religion over here. You tell me what God did. Okay? It's just people do it. So all that took place. And in fact, instead, they built the golden calf while Moses is up on the mountain. They built the golden calf. They started worshiping an idol. They went, the, they went nuts. Uh, they, um, all of this happened. Moses came down, broke those tablets. The rest of the story, okay? But so the Feast of Pentecost, it is, again, it happens 50 days after first fruits. It is a celebration of God giving his law, giving those Ten Commandments. And when we think about that, we think about the Ten Commandments. Most of us, we think of them hanging on a wall. We think of them as, even as, as born-again believers, sometimes we think, oh, those are just rules. What the Ten Commandments were was a first revelation to the whole nation as a whole, as a congregation, of who God is and what his will was for their life. And they were given in that form. The, again, we've said this so many times. Every one of those commandments and every commandment God ever gave points to his nature. He tells us not to murder because he's not a murderer. All right? He tells us not to steal because he's not a thief. He tells us not to commit adultery because he's faithful. We, you know, and on down the line, he's not jealous of, you know, he doesn't covet uh, somebody else's stuff. He has all his fullness within himself. So that Ten Commandments was God revealing himself in a brand new way to Israel. And yes, they are commandments, but they reveal, the more important thing is they reveal God's heart, his nature, and his will. Does that make sense to you? So the day of Pentecost, uh, the day of Pentecost commemorates all of that. And so this term, uh, there was a sound from heaven, a loud sound from heaven. That, that relates back to the thundering that took place on that, on that mountain. As, as the Holy Spirit was poured out, I'm not, I'm not doing this the way I want to do it. I keep having to back up. Remember, this feast, like all the other feasts, was celebrated year after year after generation after generation after century after century. God had Israel, physical people on the earth, rehearsing something he was going to do and remembering something he had done. And that's what this feast was about. So when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it's like, oh, we see... And we hear there was a loud sound from heaven. Well, we're here celebrating that there was a loud, loud sound from heaven when, when the Ten Commandments were given. We're seeing tongues of fire lighting upon these people. And when the commandments were given, when God revealed himself back there, there was lightning going on. Is this making sense to you? It says that the, that the whole house, everybody in the house, 
had this experience. Well, everybody in the house of Israel was invited to come to the mountain. They didn't all do it, but they were invited. It was all the people were gathered at Sinai. It all spoke back to this. And then the, the gift of tongues began to manifest in a certain way. There are various ways that the gift of tongues manifests. I think the primary one is in a personal prayer language between us and the Lord. But all of those disciples, those 120 that were up there, went out into the streets and they were all, as it says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't take hold of you and force tongues out of you. He gives utterance. You get to decide if he gets to use your tongue and your lungs and all to, to speak the words that he's giving you. That's the way he does it. He gave them utterance. They went out into the street and it says that people from all nations were there in Jerusalem for this festival and they heard all these disciples speaking in languages the disciples didn't know but these people did and they were declaring the wonderful works of God in all these languages it was a great great miracle is one one aspect of the gift of tongues well hebrew scholars say I'm getting way ahead of myself. Hebrew scholars believe that when God spoke at Mount Sinai, it resonated through the whole earth and that the languages, the language that God spoke was broken into 70 different languages. This is what they believe. And whether the whole thing is exactly right or whether the principle, I think the principle is right. As God spoke at Mount Sinai, that voice went out into the whole earth and it was broken into languages so that everybody who would could hear what God was saying. On the day of Pentecost, those disciples went out, the Holy Spirit empowered them to speak in languages that other people there could understand and could hear the wonderful works of God. What was God doing? He was revealing himself in a far greater and far... um, more uh, accessible way than what happened on Mount Sinai. That's what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was about. And that's why he did it on this day, because for generations they'd been practicing and remembering all of this and so on this day when that outpouring happened. And what happened? 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus right then and there. That, That would only happen wasn't just because they heard somebody speaking in a language that the person said they didn't understand. It was because the power of God was being released and it was because they were already aware of what happened on Mount Sinai. Now, let me, let me tie this together. This isn't a pleasant fact, but it's a fact. All of the people, when God was giving the law on Mount Sinai, they, they built the golden calf and they started worshiping another god. And I don't know if everybody in Israel did that, but a bunch of people did, all right? You remember the Old Testament was before Jesus came, right? It was before there was grace, before there was free access to the Lord. What happened after that is that Moses came and he said, okay, everybody who's still on the Lord's side gather to me. And they did. And right after that, judgment fell and 3,000 people died because of the idolatry. They did not gather back to the Lord and they died on, on, this is in Exodus 32 
or 33 or 34. 3,000 people that day died. On the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, 3,000 people were saved from that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what happened there. There are all kinds of links between these, all of these events. And to me, I just, what gets me every time I read about any of these feasts and what took place and what they were commemorating and what happened in our time, it just, it's like God has painted this intricate pattern, this intricate picture of who he is, what he wanted for us, what he was going to do, and, and so that we could grasp he did everything, and he continues to do everything he can do to make himself available and to show himself to people so that people can gather to him. So there are all kinds of links between these. So let's just, let's look at this. We don't have a lot of time left. The Feast of Pentecost is the completion or fulfillment of what began at Passover. All right, we don't celebrate it this way but this is what it was at passover the lamb was sacrificed the blood was shed deliverance happened that's really important that's a big deal and we celebrate it during that week the the feast of unleavened bread was about sin being removed from the house it was about a piece of that bread being wrapped up in linen and hidden that was a picture of Jesus going into the grave. It was about the period of time between the death and the burial and the resurrection. And it culminated with that Feast of first fruits. It's all about celebrating the life of God and the, and the resurrection. But beginning on that day, beginning on that day, let me just move forward because if you guys are still trying to write that down, I've already said most of that, and I need to go up to this. On that day, okay, the day of first fruits. Is this making sense? Is anybody with me? Two of you got it? All right. On that day of first fruits, right after the, right after the Sabbath, right after Passover, okay, day of first fruits. The tradition is, and some people, I have friends that still keep this. They're born-again believers, but they follow a lot of Jewish tradition, and they, they still keep this. They began something that they called the counting of the Omer, which was every day for, for 49 days or 50 days, because you, you count the first one, they would count the Omer. All right, so let me tell you what an Omer is. We see that in our Bible, and I'd never looked it up really until not that long ago. So we see these terms in the scripture. There were measures of, of grain, like we'd say a bushel, or a gallon or something. The one was an ephah. Okay, that was a measure of grain. An omer is a tenth of an ephah. So many times in the Bible, it represents a tithe or it represents first fruits, bringing the first part to God. And so God gave this command that beginning on the day of first fruits, you will count the omer. And what that meant was every day, there, there is a specific prayer that is prayed that recognizes God, and they count the day out loud. This is the first day of the Omer. I, this friend of mine put this on Facebook all, all through to, today. Yesterday was the last day, and today they're celebrating Pentecost. All right. And, and so every day for that whole time, 
every believer gets up and they worship God and they say, this is the 15th day of the Omer. This is the 23rd day of the Omer. And they, they pray, they are thankful for something specific. They give the first fruits of thanksgiving and praise to God. And they read, most of them read specific scriptures during that time. One of them is Psalm 67. We'll look at that in just a second. And so for, what does that do? That for 49 days, the the lamb has been sacrificed. We've celebrated deliverance. We've recognized first fruits, which for us is the resurrection, but it's not done. It's not over. What Jesus did at the cross isn't done. It isn't done until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The, the, um, one of the traditions about the giving of the law at Mount Sinai is the Jews look at that as that was the day Israel became not just a nation, not just a people, but a congregation. The day of Pentecost for us, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, that's the birth of the church. We like to, well, sometimes I think we think it starts at Matthew chapter one. Actually, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. It was born in the culmination, is this making sense, of everything that happened at the cross and in the tomb and at resurrection. Everything that happened there wasn't finished until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that counting of the Omer, it's like links of a chain that hold those two events together. Why didn't God do it? Why didn't he do it the next day? I have no idea. But I know that during that time, that builds anticipation for the next thing coming. The next harvest, for one thing, for them. The last harvest of the spring season. All the fall stuff's going to happen with the second coming of Jesus. This is really significant. This is the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of the church age. This is beginning of the the age of grace in which we live. This is a really unique time that we live in. There's never been a time like this before. It's going to be different after Jesus. God's not going to be different, but it's going to be different when Jesus comes back. Different things are going to happen. Real, real different things are going to happen when Jesus comes back. But that counting of the Omer links that all together and it builds this anticipation toward this day. And what happened on that day? The Holy Spirit was poured out. How did we ever get to where, oh, that whole Holy Spirit thing is optional? I, you know, I want to be born again. I want the blood of the lamb. I want all that. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, eh, those, you know, those charismatics believe in that. And, and again, please, I'm not being critical. This is just, it strikes me when I'm studying this stuff. It's like, Lord, How did we get here? When you, for centuries, tied these two events together and this one culminated fully in this one. Doesn't take anything away from the first one. It adds to it. How did we get to where we see that one? It's just an option. Just, just, you know, some people accept it, some people don't. How did we get there? Thank God, you know, he, he loves us no matter what, but I just don't understand sometimes how we got to some of these things. So let's just go to these verses because I'm, I'm running out of time. Let's go to Psalm 67 and, and look at some of this. This is one of the things during the counting of the Omer. Some people 
read this or confess this psalm or read this psalm every single day. Look at what it look at what it says. First of all, this psalm in the original language, it's seven verses and a total of 49 words. So it's seven sevens again. God's trying to get our attention. It's seven sevens again. Uh, again, I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, so this is what they would say. You know, this is the 17th day of the Omer. And, and, uh, but they'd, they'd read this. God be merciful and gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us and among us. That's a picture of his glory being poured out. Selah, pause and calmly think of that. Why? Why do we need God to pour out his glory? So that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power, your deliverances, and your salvation among the nations. What did the outpouring of the Holy Spirit do? It was the glory of God being poured out on every believer, everyone who would receive it. Why? So that your way could be known on earth, your saving power, your deliverances, and your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you. Turn away from their idols and give thanks to you, O God. Let all the peoples praise and give thanks to you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. The Holy Spirit is linked with joy. And you will judge the peoples fairly and guide and lead or drive the nations upon the earth. Selah. Pause and calmly think of that. Let the peoples praise you. Turn away from their idols and give thanks to you. It seems like he has a theme going here. O God, let all the peoples praise you and give thanks to you. The earth has yielded its harvest in evidence. The Amplified throws this in, but it's because it's the idea in the original language. The earth has yielded its harvest in evidence of God's approval. God, even our God, will bless us. God will bless all the ends of the earth, those who reverently fear him. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit living in us is God's seal. And it, it speaks of God's approval of the work of Christ, approval of the work of Christ in us, and his, our belonging to him and his protection over us. The Holy Spirit is said to be all of that. In the spirit realm, the devil looks at you, he sees the seal of God on your head, on your life and my life. It is that stamp of God's approval. So this whole psalm, again, as, as it is confessed during this counting of the Omer, it speaks of what's coming. And, and they didn't have any idea at that moment, at that time, what was coming. They didn't know that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. The disciples didn't even really know, and they'd been told several times. But all those years, they had practiced all of this, and this is the way God fulfilled it. I think one of the most important things we're saying this morning is that the work of the cross, the work of our salvation, is intimately tied in God's mind to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment. It is the completion. So let me just uh, give you a couple other things. I think I've already chattered through a lot of this this morning. Um, again, when the, when the word of God was given out at Mount Sinai, when the law came, it was a revelation of who God is. The Holy Spirit is sent to us to lead us and guide us into the whole fullness of truth. That's what Jesus said. 
He is there to walk with us. The Ten Commandments gave this picture of God's nature and God's will that we could look at and see. And if we spend time over it, we can grasp a part of it. We live in a day where the Holy Spirit walks in us, walks with us and in us every day to in real time, in every situation, be available to reveal the will and the heart of God to us. What, what an incredible privilege we have. The, the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God on stone, right? But with the coming and receiving of the Holy Spirit, we have scripture that tells us stony hearts are made tender and God's word is written in our hearts. Let me give you a few of those real quick. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. Jeremiah 31, 33. You might just want to jot these down. It says, but this is the covenant which I make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their hearts I will write it and I will be their God and they will be my people. What a privilege. The word of God written on our hearts. If we, in any situation, we can take a moment, maybe several moments, but we can quiet down and we can know the will of God and the word of God for our lives. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O God. Yes, your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. That's awesome. Ezekiel chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. I will give them one heart, a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within them. And I will take the stony, unnatural, hardened heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh, sensitive and responsive to the touch of their God. Isn't that good? A heart that is sensitive and responsive to the touch. Not the shove, not the slap. (laughs) The touch of their God. Why? so that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. And again, they shall be my people and I will be their God. How awesome. So Jesus told us that he told the disciples in order to be his witnesses, they needed to wait and they needed to receive the Holy Spirit into their lives. And he told us, and I'll just read these to you. We'll wrap this up over in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's honestly, it's deeply profound. It's beyond words. And yet God made access to himself, to Christ. We come to Christ by simply receiving the gift, recognizing his place as the one and only Savior and receiving him by faith. We say, Lord Jesus, I recognize I cannot, I cannot do this on my own. I can't, I can't even do life on my own, let alone be holy before you, be holy before a perfect God before you. But I accept 
your sacrifice on my behalf and I ask you into my life, into my heart to be my savior. I give you my life. We pray a prayer like that. And the scripture tells us if we do that in faith, we're born again, we're saved. And then there's the link to that infilling of the Holy Spirit. When we pray that prayer in faith, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But these festivals, everything in the scripture makes it clear that beyond that, there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. There is a, that means a saturation with the Holy Spirit that we can receive. And we do it the same way. I think we get so, we make this so complicated. Jesus said, ask the Father. And so we ask him, Lord, I see that you have given your Holy Spirit to every believer. You've made him available to every believer in a way that you described as a baptism. Uh, for me to, to step into and to be absolutely saturated with the Holy Spirit, changed by the Holy Spirit, empowered to be your witness by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want that and I ask you for it and I receive it in Jesus' name. And when we pray that prayer in faith, the Lord baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to empower us in new ways and there are gifts that begin to flow in new ways. There are parts of your being that have sort of laid dormant that God empowers with the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit that you find over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 begin, begin to flow from you at times. And it's, it's not weird. It's not, it's, it's not a show. It's not any of that. You just be in a situation and somebody will ha be telling you something and all of a sudden a faith that you have never, you know it's not you, comes upon you. It's a gift of faith. And, and you'll pray for a miracle for that person. There can be a working of miracles. There can be a gift of healing. You might have a word of knowledge or word of wisdom or prophecy for them. It's all kinds of ways that the Lord manifests himself. But that begins to take place. And his church becomes this powerful, living witness for him to the ends of the earth. It's his plan. It's how he planned to do it. And we're all beneficiaries. We, we live in the greatest Time so far. I'm sorry, I'm trying to quit. How many of us think that day to day right now? We live in the best time so far. Free access to God. If we're not thinking that, and I, I confess I don't all the time, if we're not thinking that, our eyes are in the wrong place. Our eyes are in the wrong place. So let's pray together. Go ahead and stand up with me today. We're going to pray together. Um, if anybody here has never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'd like me to pray with you after church, or if you've never received Jesus, certainly, and you'd like prayer after church, I'd be happy to uh, pray with you. But let's just go before the Lord. Father, we are so grateful this morning for everything you've made available to us. And Father, I, I pray this morning that this little uh, haphazard description, Lord, of, of this feast day God would bring every one of us into a greater revelation of who you are, what you've provided, what you've tried to demonstrate to us over and over. And Father, I don't know what else to say other than as we go out into this world this week, Lord, we do go carrying your presence and we're grateful for that. We don't always see ourselves that way, but it is the truth. It is who we are. And so Lord, we make ourselves available to be your witnesses throughout this community, wherever else we may go. Lord, and, and we just trust, Lord, that you, you will make a way and you will work amazing things through us because it's your desire to reach people. 
We thank you for that. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right, we're going to go out. If you need uh, cards, they're out there for you. And um, go out and be the church this week. So let's say this on the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.